Good evening. Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and 17 through 20. I believe that is found on page 708 um, in the church Bible. And if anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll be happy to hand one out to you. There's someone in the back to hand them out. So just raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. And these Bibles are for you. They're gifts. Um, if you need a Bible at home and want to take them with you, uh, we'd love to have you to have the Word of God with you. Again, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick, who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks, John. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for our ears. Help us listen. Help us hear your Holy Spirit speaking directly to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're in Luke chapter 10 today, and I wanted to actually start a little bit by talking about uh, different roles in the church, because I kind of think it leads into our, our passage. So we have different roles in the church. We have elders, we have deacons. Last week, uh, Andy talked about nominations for some of our uh, different roles in the church, elders, deacons, collectors. Uh, the elders are really kind of the spiritual leaders of the church. They, they preach, teach, shepherd, uh, pray, really supposed to focus on spiritual leadership. The deacons are more about the physical care of the church body, caring for the needs of the people, uh, business activities, logistics. Uh, but then we also have the congregation. The congregation is called to be engaged in the ministry of the church. 
We also have one more role in a, kind of our philosophy of ministry, and it's the role of pastor. What does the, the pastoral staff do? So I have this lovely quote from our philosophy of ministry. <laughs> staff equipped. We believe that pastors are called to serve the church by equipping the believers for the work of the ministry. So it's my job and the job of pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we believe this comes from the scriptures itself. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So now our philosophy of ministry talks about being equipped for ministry, and this talks about being equipped for works of service. By, by ministry and by service, does it just mean like uh, the pastor's job is to equip people to essentially just run the church smoothly, to make sure that everyone's on like a different team and, and kind of everything's in order? Well, I think that's part of it. I think part of just being a church involves logistics and practical things, but I actually think the works of ministry that the scripture is calling us to do, to be equipped for, is just your life as a disciple of Jesus. Your life, everyday normal life, using that time for Christ. So how can I follow Jesus today? What can I be, how, how can I be with him this day? How can I be walking in relationship with him? And then what is he calling me to do? Not just on Saturday evening or a Sunday morning, but on a Monday afternoon, a, a Tuesday morning. And so today, I want us to look at Jesus and a little bit of how he's equipping. See, in our passage today, I want to read the first verse, he sends out 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, who are these 72? We know about the 12, right? The, the 12 disciples. Uh, I bet if you were to get a quiz right now, you probably couldn't name all 12 of them. I, I certainly couldn't. Bartholomew, he's the one that you're not going to be able to think of uh, when you're going through it in your head. But a couple chapters earlier in the, in the Gospel of Luke, these 12 disciples, disciples are called and they're, they're labeled apostles. An apostle, uh, the, the word apostle means a messenger who is sent they're named apostles, and they really become the pillars of the church. They're the sent ones. But they're all, there are more followers of Jesus than just these 12. There was a, a wider group. <laughs> there were others that didn't get picked to be on his inner circle. And we're actually encountering them to, in today's passage, the 72 others. I want us to think about this passage and kind of place ourselves in the scripture and say, all right, well, I'm clearly not one of the 12 disciples, if I'm to think about myself, I'm, I'm actually probably called pretty similarly, similarly to be like these 72, to be one of the others, one of the people that doesn't get their name in the scriptures. And so I want us to look together as we read through Luke chapter 10, what is Jesus calling these 72 others to do? Because what Jesus is calling them to do is what he's calling me to do. As part of my relationship with Christ, I want to be obedient to whatever he's calling me to do. And so our first kind of point from the first 12 verses is that Jesus sends us out. We are sent out. 
Now, in verse 1, I talked about apostles. So there's kind of a, there's a big A apostle. <laughs> These are the, those 12 pillars of the church. Uh, this is Peter, James, and John. And Jesus appointed 12 of them, and they, they mirror the 12 tribes of Israel. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I'm doing a new work. I'm, I'm, this is a new chapter in the people of God. We had the 12 tribes, now we have the 12 disciples. And that's kind of the beginning of the Christian community. Jesus builds on them. So where does the 72 come from? Is that also some sort of biblical illusion in the Old Testament? Actually, it is. So if you go back to the, the Greek translation of of Genesis chapter 10, we read about the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And there are 72 nations that come out in that chapter. So I think Jesus, as he's sending out these 72, is alluding to Genesis chapter 10, which is called the table of nations. The table of nations. See, he has founded the faith with the twelve. He's founded Christianity with the 12, and now he's sending out the 72 to reach the world. There's two parts, the founding and the sending. Now, these sent ones, they are also apostles, (laughs) but they don't get the big A apostle. They're, They're not going down in the history books as one of the 12 but they are sent ones. They are messengers. They're to go before Jesus and share the way. And I want us to notice that. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now I want us to, to break this passage down a little bit more. We're going to look at how uh, they're to go together. They're to go in pairs. Uh, they don't go alone. They go with Uh, some sense of urgency. But first, I want us to look at two truths. First, that these disciples are valuable. That they're valuable. Looking at verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is saying, there's this great harvest. There's this valuable harvest. You can have the greatest crop in the world, but if you have no one to harvest it, (laughs) is it worth anything? No. Like in any business, any organization, who are the most valuable, like what's the most valuable piece of that organization? It's the people. In God's kingdom, the most valuable thing is the people. See, Jesus wants to send out his workers into the harvest field. Now, where is the field? Is it some far-off land, or is it close by? Now, in our story, we're seeing Jesus send uh, the 72. He's sending them out. He's sending them ahead of himself to towns that he's going to visit. Now, we as a church, we've been talking a lot about frontline ministry. See, I, I believe God does send us out, and he may send you all the way across the world. He may send you into another country, but I believe on Monday morning, he's sending you to where you already are going naturally. He's sending you to your front line, to the place where you're around people that don't believe in Christ. Now, that can be your office. 
<laughs> that could be uh, your school, your fellow classmates. That could be uh, your home, your neighborhood. It could be family members. This could be Starbucks when you go, excuse me, Dunkin' Donuts. This could be Dunkin' Donuts when you go and you get your, your dunks. This could be Market Basket. This can be anywhere that God sends you. Do you believe that when you go to your front line, you're going before Jesus? Like you're, you're his representative? Just like John the Baptist, you're going to prepare the way for Christ Jesus. Now, don't walk out of here thinking, like, Jesus isn't omnipresent. <laughs> That's not it at all. But as we go to our front lines, like, we need to think intentionally about, I'm, I'm going to my school today, I'm going to my office today just to get this place ready for the presence of Christ Jesus. When, whenever Jesus arrives, I want him to find my heart ready. And if there are any around me that that I can help get ready. I want to get them ready for the harvest. I want them to get them ready for Jesus. See how much value there is in going before Jesus to prepare the way for him? There's so much value. The, the Veer Institute uh, in downtown Boston, they put out this, well, they, they, they did a study, uh, or they, they had the data, and something like, 78% of people believe their jobs and their kind of vocations, what they do every day is less valuable than what a pastor does. Now, could that be true if my job is just equipping you to, to do what God is calling you to do in your life? I don't think so. I think God calls us to different places and each position has incredible value. So I hope as you go out into your world this week, even if you're not out on, a, on a, a job site, that you view the place that you are as a place that is incredibly hopeful, full of potential, and that you're valuable. So our first point is that we are valuable. That's the first truth. The second truth is that we can't do it alone. I talked about this a little bit earlier. He goes two by two, he sends them out. And he also says in verse 2, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I want to focus on the word ask for a moment. That word ask is also translated as prayer sometimes. Pray. So who are we asking help from when we pray? <laughs> We're asking the Holy Spirit. We're asking God. God, we can't reach our front lines alone. It's too hard. In my own power, I'm just going to alienate people. People are just going to think I'm that weird religious guy in the office or at the gym. And so we need your Holy Spirit to come and to lead us through relationships and sharing the gospel and providing opportunities. We need to pray. And there's no better partner in ministry than the Holy Spirit. But thank God that we don't live in a purely abstract world in the clouds. God wants to make our help real and tangible. And so he sends out the workers two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he is about to go. I don't know about you, but when I feel overwhelmed by my like, front line, it's so helpful when I have a brother and a sister in Christ that I can share this with and they can remind me, well, God is at work. <laughs> We're just trusting God. We're going to pray. Uh, for those, some of the, you that are, are married, you have a spouse that you can be sharing about your front line with, or maybe you have a close friend that you can say, here's what's happening. 
on my front line. Here's what I see God doing and here's what I want to see happen. And you can tell them about your victories when, when it went really well and you had the chance to pray for someone. And you can tell them about your defeats when you, you weren't courageous and you were afraid. And you can just pray together and walk down that road together. We go two by two into this harvest field. I want to challenge you tonight after the service during fellowship time uh, to ask someone about their front line. So ask them about their front line. Just say, how's your front line? And when you get that question, share. And then maybe ask, you know, well, how can I pray for your front line? So before you say anything else, ask, how's your front line? Because we want to do this together. Let's look down then. So we looked at two two truths, and we want to look at uh, three commands. Three commands that Jesus gives us as his followers as he sends us out. Well, the first command is to go weak. Let's look at verse 3. Go. This is, a, this is an imperative. This is a command. Go. This isn't a question mark. Go. This isn't a suggestion. Go. This is a command. Go. Go. I am sending you out. That's the same word for apostle, little a apostle, apostello. I am sending you out. You're a messenger. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, Jesus is not a very good motivational speaker, is he? <laughs> I'm sending you out as like a precious little lamb. Have you ever gone to a farm and seen like a, a newborn lamb? They're really cute. They have the weak and the wobbly legs, and they can't really stand up very well. They're super cute, and they're super, super vulnerable. They're, they're, they're incredibly vulnerable. They're at the mercy of the farmer or the shepherd or the other sheep or the sheepdog. Jesus says, go like a lamb. I'm going to send you out as lambs to be weak, to, to put yourself at risk. Do you ever feel like a lamb saying, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian in New England. Like, I'm a, I'm a lamb, and there's just wolves everywhere. Sometimes they're real, real wolves. Sometimes they're imaginary wolves. I wanted to share a story um, from Neil Hudson. He wrote the, he put together the Life on the Frontline DVD series. We went through the fruitfulness on the frontline, but he works with the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And he, uh, he gave a sermon on Luke chapter 10 that I listened to this week uh, at Park Street, actually. And he shared a story of someone on their frontline. Shared the story of Betty uh, in San Francisco. So they had just gone through some of the material, learning about, okay, what is your front line? How is God calling you to, to be there? And she really didn't feel like she had a front line. She was retired, and she was looking around at everyone else, and everyone else, they had clear front lines, right? They were young career people. Uh, they had, uh, you know, like, relationships that they were around a lot of the time, and she didn't feel like she had a front line. But she did identify the gym. So she'd been going to her gym for several years, uh, but the gym was full of gym relationships, right? You, you like sweat together, but you, you like don't make eye contact. Or you, don't, you don't talk too much to each other. Maybe you talk about gym things afterwards, but then you kind of go about your normal life. And so she identified her front line as her gym, the place she would go. 
And she began to expect that God would do something. I assume she began to pray. And pretty soon, uh, one of her fellow gym friends, uh, another lady, just expressed that she was afraid for her daughter. She's just anxious for her daughter. And Betty said, well, uh, when I am anxious for my daughter, because I also have a daughter, I pray for her. And can, I, can I pray for you? And the woman said, yes, you can pray for me. And so they prayed together. She prayed for her. And a couple days later, this woman came back and, and said to her, you know, I feel so much better. <laughs> I'm actually not afraid for my daughter anymore, and I think it's because of your prayers. And she said, that's wonderful. Can we, can we say another prayer? Can we thank God together? She was like, sure. <laughs> and so they prayed together, thanking God. She wasn't afraid anymore. And then after that, Betty asked her, you know, do you do you know Jesus? Have you ever prayed to invite Jesus to live and dwell inside of you? And she listed some of the things that Christ does for us. And the woman said, no, I've, I've not done that. And she said, well, would you like to do that? And she said, yes. <laughs> and then they just prayed and invited Christ into this woman's life. And this is San Francisco. <laughs> this is very similar to New England in a place that's not about Jesus Christ. And pretty soon after that, uh, she invited this woman to a ladies' ministry at the church. She invited another one of her gym friends, and that other gym friend brought a friend. And so four of them went to this woman's ministry event. And that's a story of God using a woman in her weakness, this, this, this elderly lady, in her weakness to bring in a harvest. And now Neil Hudson went back through the story and he pointed out the places where she was weak and vulnerable. First, you know, identifying a front line, saying, you know, I don't have all the options in the world, but I have a front line. And it's my gym. It's a place where, you know, I, mean, I, I don't want to lose those relationships, but that's my place. And then when this other woman said, you know, I'm going through a hard time, she didn't say, okay, I'll pray for you. She said, when I feel anxious about my daughter, I pray. Can I pray for you? She opened up and expressed weakness, kind of shined a light into her own heart. I get anxious. I get afraid. Can I pray for you in this moment? And then they prayed together. And then when the woman came back around and said, I think, I think that prayer really worked, she said, great, can we, can we thank God again? That's another moment of weakness, going back to prayer. Like, I don't know, I just want just like one good hit out of the park and then I'm ready to leave the baseball game. She's like, the game is still afoot. Let's, do, let's go, let's play. And then she got really weak and really vulnerable and said, do you know Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I think about these things, I think, like, people are just going to look at me weird. And, and, and this woman, well, she could have lost those relationships in her gym. What if on the very first time when she offered prayer, the other lady said, oh, you're a weird religious nut. Like, she was putting herself on the line. She was putting herself at risk. But she kept going, kept getting weaker and weaker and trusting God, and God used it to produce a harvest. 
This is challenging. This is a call. And I'm going to pray for each and every one of you that you have the opportunity this week to be weak for Jesus. That you have a, an opportunity to put yourself on the line to, to be vulnerable for Christ. I had two opportunities this week after listening to the sermon, almost exactly like this. And the first one, it went really well. And I was like, yes, I did it. And then the next night, I had another opportunity, and I just completely blew it. We're going we're gonna to be weak, and other times we're going to tense up and be afraid. But Jesus tells us to just keep walking, just keep going, keep trying. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit. Go weak. Go vulnerable. Let's look at the next command. Go dependent. We're looking at verses 4 through 8. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. These are just like necessities for a good trip. Jesus is saying, depend on me. Depend on the people God is going to put in, in your pathway to provide for you. How often do we depend on our own resources and our own strength? How, how eloquently we can speak or we're like, I'm not going to have a conversation with you. I'm going to send you a nice sermon from my pastor because he can put it better than I can. Sometimes it's okay to use those resources. But Jesus wants to use you. Do not greet anyone on the road. That sounds kind of rude. Well, greeting was long and elaborate. And he's saying, don't depend on your, your social power. So don't, don't depend on your financial power, on your own strength, on your own social standing. Depend entirely on me. And we see this as the passage goes on. Verse 6, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And then we see in 8, we see a repeat when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Jesus says, eat what is offered to you two times, so it must be important. Now, Jesus, at this stage in his ministry, in Luke chapters 1 through 9, he's been in the northern region near Galilee. He's been in, in, in the region, and in Luke chapter 9, I think it's verse 51, it says, and he, and he began to go towards Jerusalem. That means he's traveling down south, he's heading towards the cross, he's heading towards his crucifixion. And if you know anything about the geography of the Middle East, there's Galilee, uh, there's Samaria, and then there's Judah. And so you have to travel along a route that could take you near people that are foreign to you. The Samaritans. And so when he's saying to these disciples, these followers, go into homes and whoever welcomes you, eat their food, that might be really uncomfortable for them because what if they are at a Samaritan village or they come in contact with Samaritans and they invite them in? They invite them to eat unclean food or unkosher food. It's going to get messy, it's going to get risky. And as we look at these chapters that following, we see that Jesus ate with Pharisees. We see that he ate with uh, sinners and tax collectors. And so he, he ate with the kinds of people, and his, his servants must have eaten with, a, his, his followers must have eaten with the kinds of people that were kind of like religiously right on. <laughs> but then people who were on the edge and weren't afraid to push the line. See, Jesus doesn't just want his followers to depend on him financially or for their resources. He doesn't want them to depend on him uh, on themselves socially. Uh, 
He also wants them to depend on him spiritually so that as they go out into the world, they're not depending on themselves for their own holiness. They're not depending on themselves for their own state of cleanliness, of righteousness. They're risking themselves for the kingdom. See, Jesus wants us to go onto our front lines dependent on him for everything, for the time, for the money, for the, 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 the energy to spend uh, out in the world with those that don't know Christ. But he also wants us to depend on him for feeling good, <laughs> for feeling righteous and holy. Because the closer we get to, to people that don't know Jesus, the more and more we're going to be exposed to sin, and that's okay. It's okay to put ourselves at risk. It's okay to be around people that might ruin your reputation because they're not good people. I know it's a challenge, right, to decide who are you going to spend your time with, people that are going to bring you up or potentially tear you down. It's a challenge when you have kids and you have a family and you're like, am I going to let my kids hang out with the kids that might be a bad influence on them? See, none of us would ever say, well, I, I won't go into a house and eat dinner there because of like ritual impurity, but we, we might say, well, I won't go into a house and eat and drink with someone because, you know, they have a bad reputation and they might make me look bad. I've done it. And so <laughs> I call this the messy discipleship. Messy discipleship is depending on Jesus for your righteousness instead of yourself. And letting that free you to do the work of Christ. Go dependently. The third command is go expectant. Go expectant for what God is going to do. Look at verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. (laughs) So on Tuesday, I want you to look for your coworker or your friend or your neighbor who has the cold or the flu and go and lay hands on them. And pray for them and see what God does. Honestly, this is not so far from the truth. (laughs) We should be going to people and if they tell you they're sick, either pray for them or I think it's okay to say, you know, I will pray for you. Pray for them. Pray for healing. See what God does. And then when they experience God move, say, well, it's Jesus. (laughs) I prayed. I, I wanted to share a, a little bit of a, just a praise that we as a church body can experience here at Cornerstone through Joe and Jenny's story. Uh, Jenny found out this week or last week that she's cancer-free. There's still some more treatment to go through, but praise God, cancer-free. And it's not just like, like most of the cancer is gone. It's like it's pretty gone. It's, it's like 100% gone. And Jenny said I could share a little bit about this. Um, But at the beginning, uh, when they found out the news, they invited me to come pray for them. Come pray at the house. That was like one of the first things. Let's pray together. And then it definitely went out on the prayer chain, and everyone began to pray for Joe and Jenny. And I asked uh, Joe and Jenny if they would like to come and have the elders pray for them and anoint them. Maybe some of you are familiar with this passage from James. It says, if anyone, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 
So Jenny provided her massage oil for us, brought in the massage oil, and we anointed, and we laid hands on her, and we prayed for her. And you're well. <laughs> now, I think God used our prayers combined with you know, natural processes, doctors, professionals, treatments to bring healing. And I think that's what you guys think too, right? It's God. It's God. Sometimes God uses supernatural means. Sometimes God uses natural means. But I believe God still wants to, to heal people. I believe he wants to heal people around him. Like the, the harder our culture gets, the more they need to see supernatural power. And so don't be afraid to, heal, uh, to pray for healing for people. We can still experience it and still see it happen. It might not happen in the way you expect, and it might not be instantaneous, but God can produce healing. And then just tell them, the kingdom of God is near. And they'll be like, what does that mean? <laughs> and you can tell them about Jesus. So go weak, go dependent, go expectant. And what's the result? How will it turn out? Well, when we go out, we will come back with joy. Because, man, it is wonderful to see God move. Verses 17 through 20 talk about the 72 returning. And it says they're, they're with, they returned with joy. And in, in verse 19, uh, verse 20, he says, Do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then verse 21 says that Jesus was full of joy. See, when we see God move, when we see uh, when we see healing, when we see spiritual change, it fills us with joy. We get so excited. And I think the, the true thing that gives us joy is just knowing that Christ is alive and, and experiencing his power. It says they, they were casting him out. They, they said, demons submit to us in your name, in the name of Jesus. See, it's 72 people who knew Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't, don't rejoice just when you have success on your front line. You will have success. That's wonderful. But rejoice that you know me and that I know you and that your name is written in my book. That's the reason we rejoice. If you want courage to talk to those around you with Jesus, focus on your relationship with Jesus. Focus on what Christ Jesus did for you, the cross, and how Jesus became weak. Jesus became vulnerable. Jesus became entirely dependent on God, on his Father. He was, he was entirely dependent on the Holy Spirit throughout his entire life. And with expectation, he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins by becoming the lamb crucified for us. See, Jesus was torn apart by wolves so that we don't have to so that we can receive eternal life, so that we can experience everlasting life, so that we one day as lambs will rejoice with the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. When we go out, we will come back with joy. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are our Lamb and that you lead us out. You lead us out into the world and it can feel risky and dangerous but we know that when we're with you, we're safe. Help us to share the love of Christ with others, the love that we have experienced ourselves. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.